So Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses here. Read a another selection on revival by Mr. Bonner, but read a few verses here. He's going to be referring to the Acts of the Apostles. <clears throat> Not too many verses in particular, but the general knowledge of the book. And so we want to read just a few verses here ourselves. I want to read with you verses 1 through 14. So Acts chapter 1, and let us give our attention to God's word here. Acts chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. When they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Amen. We trust God will add His own blessing 
the reading of His Word for His name's sake. We want to read then a little selection. We'll read the whole thing, but read a couple of three pages here of Horatius Bonner's article, The Men God Uses in Revival. The Men God Uses in Revival. He says, The world is still sleeping its sleep of death. It has been a slumber of many generations, sometimes deeper, sometimes lighter, yet still a slumber like that of a tomb, as if destined to continue until the last trumpet sound, and then there shall be no more sleep. Yet God has not left the world to sleep on unwarned. He has spoken in a voice that might reach the dullest ears and quicken the coldest heart. Ten thousand times has he thus spoken, and still he speaks. But the world refuses to hear. Its myriads slumber on, as if this sleep of death were the very blessedness of its being. Yet in one sense, the world's sleep has never been universal. Never has there been an age when it could be said that there is not one awake. The multitude has always slept. There has been always a little flock awake. Even in the world's deepest midnight, there have been always children of the light and of the day. In the midst of a slumbering world, some have been in every age awake. God's voice had reached them. His mighty power had raised them. And they walked the earth awake among sleepers, the living among the dead. Then, when the voice of God awakes not one, but thousands, it may be in a day, when whole villages and districts seem as if arising and putting on new life, how intensely, how unutterably interesting. At such a crisis, it seems as if the world itself were actually beginning to awake, as if the shock that had broken the slumbers of so many were about to shake the whole world together. Yet, alas, the tokens of life soon vanish. The half-awakened sleepers sink back into deeper slumber, and the startled world lies down in still more sad and desperate security. The history of the church is full of these awakenings, some on a larger and some on a smaller scale. Indeed, such narratives form the true history of the church. If we are to take our ideas of this from the inspired church history given to us in the Acts of the Apostles, let us look for a little while at the instruments and their success. Let us note their character and contemplate their success. They were men of like passions as we are. Yet how marvelously blessed in their labors. Whence then came their vast success? What manner of men were they? What weapons did they employ? They were in earnest about the great work of the ministry on which they had entered. They felt their infinite responsibility as stewards of the mysteries of God and shepherds appointed by the chief shepherd to gather in and watch over souls. They lived, labored, and preached like men on whose lips the immortality of thousands hung. Everything they did and spoke bore the stamp of earnestness, earnestness and proclaimed to all with whom they came into contact that the matters about which they had been 
sent to speak were of infinite moment or importance, admitting of no indifference, no postponement even for a day. Yet their fervor was not that of excitement. It was the steadfast but tranquil purpose of men who felt the urgency and weight of the cause entrusted to them and who knew that necessity was laid upon them. They were bent upon success. It was with a good hope of success that they first undertook the awful office of the ministry. Awful there just means something that inspires awe or weight. The awful ministry, office of the ministry, and to despair of this would have been shameful distrust of him who had sent them forth. Or to be indifferent to it would have been to prove themselves nothing short of traitors to him and to his cause. As warriors they set their hearts on victory and fought with a believing anticipation of triumph under the guidance of such a captain as their head. As shepherds they could not sit idle on the mountainside in the sunshine, the breeze, or the tempest, heedless of the straying of their straying, perishing, bleeding flock. They watched, gathered, guarded, and fed the sheep committed to their care. They were men of faith. They plowed and sowed in hope. They might sometimes go forth weeping, bearing precious seed. Yet these were them tears of sorrow and compassion, not of despair. They knew that in due season they would reap if they fainted not that their labor in the Lord would not be in vain, that ere long they would return bringing their sheaves with them. Thus they went forth in faith, in confidence, anticipating victory, defying enemies, despising obstacles, and counting not their lives dear unto them, that they might finish their course with joy in the ministry they had received of the Lord Jesus says to compare Acts 20 verse 24 Paul says here but none of these things move me that is all the afflictions that are awaiting Paul in every city he said but none of these things move me neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. They were men of labor. They were required to bear the burden and heat of the day. It might tr- be truly said of them that, quote, they scorned delights and lived <clears throat> laborious days. Their lives are the annals of incessant, unwearied toil of body and soul. Time, strength, substance, health, all they were and possessed, they freely offered to the Lord, keeping back nothing, grudging nothing, joyfully, thankfully, surrendering all to Him who loved them, washed them from their sins in His own blood, regretting only this, they had so little, so very little to give up for Him, who for their sakes had freely given Himself. 
They were men of patience. They were not discouraged, though they had to labor long without seeing all the fruit they desired. They continued to sow. Day after day they pursued what, to the eye of the world, appeared a thankless and fruitless round of toil. They were not soon weary in well-doing, remembering the example of the husbandman regarding his perishable harvest. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. James 5, 7 Many a good plan has been rendered abortive by impatience. Attempts have been made to force upon a revival by men who were impatient at the slow progress of the work in their hand. And seldom have these ended in anything but calamitous failure, or at best the momentary excitement which scorched and sterilized the soil from which little more patient toil, which a little more patient toil would have reaped an abundant harvest. They were men of boldness and determination. Adversaries might contend and oppose. Timid friends might hesitate. But they pressed forward in nothing terrified by difficulty or opposition. Timidity shuts many a door of usefulness and loses many a precious opportunity. It wins no friends while it strengthens every enemy. Nothing is lost by boldness nor gained by fear. Seems often as if there were a premium upon mere boldness and vigor, apart from other things. Even natural courage and resolution will accomplish much. How much more courage created and upheld by faith and prayer. There is in our own day a still greater need of moral boldness. In order to neutralize the fear of man, the dread of public opinion. That God of our idolatry in this last age, which boasts of superior enlightenment, and which would bring everything to the test of reason or decide it by the votes of the majority. We need strength from above to be faithful in these days of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, to set our faces like flint, alike against the censure and applause of the multitude, to dare to be singular for righteousness' sake, and to fight single-handed the battles of the faith. They were men of prayer. It is true they labored much, visited much, studied much, but they also prayed much. In this they abounded. They were much alone with God, replenishing their own souls out of the living fountain that out of them might flow to their people rivers of living water. In our day, there is doubtless among many a grievous mistake upon this point. Some who are really seeking to feed the flock and to save souls are led to exhaust their energies upon external duties and labors, overlooking the absolute necessity of enriching, enriching, ripening, filling, elevating their own souls by prayer and fasting. On this account, there is much time wasted and labor thrown away. A single word coming fresh from the lips that have been kindled into heavenly warmth by near fellowship with God will avail more than a thousand others. And one more for tonight. There were men whose doctrines were of the most decided kind. Both as respects the law 
and gospel. There is a breadth and power about their preaching, a glow and energy about their words and thoughts that make us feel that they were men of might. Their trumpet gave no feeble or uncertain sound, either to saint or sinner, either to the church or the world. Their preaching seems to have been of the most masculine and fearless kind, falling on the audience with tremendous power. It was not vehement. And you have a little definition or vehement meaning marked by extreme intensity of emotions or convictions. It was not fierce. It was not noisy. It was far too solemn to be such. It was massive, weighty, cutting, piercing, sharper than a two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. Hence so many fell wounded under them, such as is the case of the celebrated Thomas Shepherd of Cambridge, regarding whom it is said, He scarce ever preached a sermon, but some or other of his congregation were struck with great distress and cried out in agony, What shall I do? to be saved. We'll stop there tonight.